I'm going to be speaking an abbreviated message, uh, just a short follow-up in the context of what we've been reading already in Jeremiah 29. In uh, the latter half of uh, the message today, I'm going to invite up Joe, who's going to be just sharing what God has been doing in his life. Uh, he got back to California some months ago uh, from New York after we sent him off for half a year uh, to New York and just kind of, hey, uh, you know, we're on loan over there to New York. And uh, after he came back, you know, uh, just, you know, just the things that God has been doing in his life, I, you know, at that time I asked, you know, you know if, you're, if you ever wanted to, to share, you know, let me know. And um, this past week he sent me a message saying, you know, just, I guess the last few messages have really just kind of sat in his heart and just prodded him. And it was starting with that message, Get the Hell Out, and um, kind of fall. <laughs> Sorry, every time I say that title, I just have to laugh. <laughs> uh, I've been, I would tell the Jenny, I want to publish a book called Get the Hell Out. <laughs> Sorry. I just, if I'm ever having a bad day, I'm just going to say that. Just get the hell out. <laughs> <laughs> and that message, as well as last week's message of uh, seeking the welfare of our cities, uh, those two messages in particular, I really just pricked him, and that just, um, you know, just spurred something in him that he wanted to share. And so I, I open up this space to him a little bit later today. Uh, this short follow-up uh, is titled, The Exile Will Be Long, and we're going to start in verse 8 uh, of the main reading, uh, but if you remember... Um, we've been talking about from last week, um, there were the exiles who were taken captive out of Israel and they were brought to the, the Babylonian Empire, the, the parts of it. And you can imagine that they were uncomfortable there. It was a foreign land and they were thinking of only to be back home. And the word of God comes through the mouth of Jeremiah and he says, um, it's not going to be that short. <laughs> it's actually going to be long. It's going to be 70 years time that you're going to be here. And while you're here, I, I want you to plant some ho uh, build houses and plant some gardens. And I want you to marry off your kids. And I, I don't want you to think short term here. And I want you to invest into this space. I know it's not uh, your homeland, but I want this place to be better off. And I want you to pray for it in that, in that line of thought. And that's what Jeremiah prophesied. And we continue on in that same vein, uh, verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you. Okay, Jeremiah is saying that. And so those prophets who are standing up and trying to sweet talk you, telling you things that you want to hear, don't let them deceive you. They're telling you it's going to be short. They're telling you you're going to get back home quickly. They're telling you that you're going to be okay. But don't let them lie to you. That's what Jeremiah is saying through the mouth for, uh, for the Lord, right? And do not listen to the dreams which they dream. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord. Okay, and so he's turning. This is what he's saying now. All of that sweet talking by those prophets, uh-uh. This is what God says. When 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. Okay, In seven decades, you're going to come back home. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. 
Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all of the nations uh, and from all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. We'll stop there. This, like I mentioned last week, this is not falling nicely on the ears of the listeners because they do not want to be in Babylon, right? You have this exiled group. They're like, I mean, if there's war going on and the oppressor is ripping you out of your home, Right? They're, they're literally coming through your front door through screaming and yelling and they are taking all of the people of prominence and, and they're, they're taking the men and they're just separating families and they're ripping you out of your towns and your streets and sending you off, so to speak, to concentration camps maybe. They're bringing you to a space that is foreign, uncomfortable. Your pictures of your families are not on your walls. You're not going to the, to the street corners and to the marketplaces and finding foods that you normally found when you were back home, right? And so everything is disrupted. And while you are here as an exile in Babylon, the last thing you are thinking is, I want this place to do well. Right? I want my captors uh, to, to really flourish. I want these cities and these streets to just do so well. Right? That's the last thing on your mind if you're in exile in Babylon. Right? And what you are praying to is, God, deliver us. God, bring us back home. God, you are good. God, you are faithful. And you can imagine in every tight living room across that Babylonian empire, there were Jewish folks gathered together, kneeling down and praying to God and saying, Lord, deliver us as your people. May this captivity be swift and short, Lord. You can imagine that, right? Every time we get into calamity or trouble, that's kind of like the breath and spirit of our prayers, right? And in the midst of this captivity, prophets rise up. And they're just, I mean, I mean, in a sense, I, I don't know if they were like completely bad intentioned. I think in a sense, when you rise up to a, a place of a spiritual office and you're, and you're in the place of speaking the word of God and you're so connected to the people and you want them to feel good and to do good and you just want to say things that they want to hear, these prophets were doing that. They're rising up and telling people exactly what they want to hear. What's that? The exile will be short. You'll be back home before you know it, right? And that's exactly what they're telling them. And you can imagine that they're invited time and time again. Come, speak to us again, right? Come, share more of the word of the Lord with us. Oh, it's going to be, oh, Babylon, you know, the destruction coming to them. Wait and see what God will do. It will come swiftly like a terror in the night, and you will be back home before you know it. You can imagine this is what's going on in the spiritual dialogue of all of the exiles in Babylon. And then suddenly, this one lone voice, Jeremiah, right? He rises up in the midst of all of the other prophets and he says something completely against the wind, countercultural, against all of the talk of the contemporary land. And he says, ah, it's not going to be short. It's going to be long. 
Don't think about coming back home right now, right? If you were listening to my voice, you were going to die in this land. If you're listening to me, it is 70 years that you will be here. And then afterwards, God's going to bring the people back. Like, if you're listening to that as a Jewish exile, you're not really like too enthusiastic about what he's saying to you, right? I mean, oh, great, my grandchildren will be back home, but um, like, I want to be back home. Like, I left my family and my good job in my land. Somebody else, a foreigner, is living in my living room right now. I want to be there. They've taken down all of my pictures and, and, and all of my things have been destroyed. I want to go restore that. I want to go back home. Forget about my grandchildren right now, right? But that's the word through Jeremiah. 70 years. 70 years. You're going to be here. So build a house then. Change your mindset. I want you to seek the welfare of this city that you're currently in because you're in it for the long haul. I placed you here, right? And that was the message last week, right? The fundamental question that I, that I gave to you was when a Christian is living in a culture that is incongruent with a biblical worldview as the Jewish exiles were in Babylon, how should that person live, right? A separatist mindset, like, you know, you are, yes, a, a Christian, not of this world. But, like, how do we let that jive with our mission, right? And so that was the fundamental question I asked, and that led to the main idea, idea, idea that I gave you, and that was as lovers of God that we ought to not only just live in, but be concerned for and seek the peace and prosperity of our cities and neighborhoods. And then I gave you the radical idea, and it was this, right? That God's people should work for the good of those who are opposed to Him. The good of those that are opposed to God, right? And the, the constant struggle that I've had over the two decades of ministry, and I know I've openly shared that with you, and it's the idea of, of this. Like, am I a keeper of an aquarium or a fisher in the sea? Like, that, that fundamental identity as a follower of Jesus, am I just like comfortable maintaining the aquarium or swimming with the, the other fish in this little secluded space Right? Are we putting on a bunch of lights in the church and, and making the church buildings ever so brighter? Or am I taking up the mandate to be a fisher of the sea? Am I taking the flashlight and, and leaving the, the, the safety of the 99 in the open pasture and going out to find that shivering one that's probably tucked away, hidden in this little crevice or a cave and just lost and just thinking that he's going to be devoured? Do I have my light as a Christian and am I going out? Like, that was like a dialogue and a thing that I think about constantly. And I, and I give that to you as well, because it's not just for me, right? And that idea of seeking the welfare of our cities and our neighborhoods, it's not just for me. And that was something that I invited us into as a congregation. Like, to really pray for our cities, to pray for our generation, our workspaces, to not just be comfortable expressing our faith within the safety of our church in this aquarium mindset, but to understand that there are lost fish in that sea and that they need to be caught for Jesus. And God calls us, if we are a believer of Jesus, to be a witness for Him and to be a fisher of men. That's the calling that God has for us. And He says to the exiles, right, I know you don't want to be here. 
I know everything you're thinking of is wanting to get back home, but guess what? I, I sent you. It's, it's not the king of Babylon that brought you there. It's actually my hand that placed you there. And so know that I got a purpose for that. Know that there's a reason. So don't just seclude yourself. Don't build these fortified, fortified cultural Jewish communities. And I want you to seek the welfare of Babylon. I want your cities to thrive. And I want you to pray for it in that way. And so the brief follow-up to that message, going from our text right, that we read today, when Jeremiah is saying, when 70 years' time is completed for Babylon, then I'll bring you back. And then there's this very popular passage of Scripture, you know, starting from verse 11, when God says to the exiles, I know the plans that I have for you, you know, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope, right? And that's a very well-quoted verse along with, you know, you will find me, you know, when you seek me with all of your heart. And at times, I think that that verse and passage is quoted out of context. Like, you just tell, you know, you know, you're speaking to somebody and then you just want to speak good words into their life. And, you know, they're going through and you just you say to them, you know, God knows the plans that he has for you. He wants to give you a hope and a future. And we speak that confidence and that, and that, and that word into somebody's life. But at times, I, I think we can speak that too freely, too lightly. And we need to understand the context of what's happening here. When God says this to His listeners, right? God has plans for you to give you a hope and a future. Plans for welfare, not for calamity. That is still encompassing the fact that the listeners of those words were going to die in Babylon. Right? And so it really frames this properly for us. It's not just this clean promise to say, you know what, God's always going to just give you like, you know, these good and fluffy things. Like He's got plans for you to give you a hope and a future. And, you know, it's just that, that sweet scent all the time. And we, we need to understand the context of what's happening here. And really, with an eye on the third generation, he's speaking to this one. That's what's happening here. And so the, the, I guess the, the first or only main point as a follow-up that I'll give you today is that God's actions and perspective, it goes from big to small. Like that's just how He operates. Like it goes big picture first and then he moves in more granular ways, right? And so it's like he sees the entire human history, what's happening around the world as a whole. And after that understanding of what he has plotted from Adam all the way to the end of what we have read in Revelation, after the scope of seeing all of that, then he begins to move in smaller, more detailed ways. Right? And so, it's that big picture first, and then the smaller pieces. And the other way to think of it is like he's trying to piece our day-to-day -day lives into a bigger story, right? Like, like oh, this happened to you today? Okay, let, tomorrow I'm going to change the script and I'm going to kind of counterbalance what happened to you yesterday by what I'm going to do to you, you know, today. And then I'll do the, something else tomorrow. To, and so he's not doing that. It's not like piecing together our day-to-day -day lives to ultimately finally come up with a final story at the end. Like he sees the end first and then he begins to work in those smaller ways. 
It's a very different perspective. And I've shown you this next picture before, right? It's the picture of Michelangelo's The Creation of Adam. I love this painting, and I always censor it because I don't want to stumble the ladies, right? And, uh, you know, I, I've shown you this picture before, right? And it, this picture, I, I bring it back to you because, like, you know, I, I like to use Photoshop and, you know, like, stuff like that. And um, as I see this, like, you look at, you know, everything you see on a computer screen through your eyes is a combination, right? Like there's a certain saturation of color, there's a hue there. You know, there are things that are happening in every single little pixel, right? And then I give you this picture and then I literally just zoomed into three spaces, right? I zoomed into the nostril, I zoomed into that little pink arc, and I zoomed into a curl on that angel's head. A, curl, a little puff of hair, right? And then Zooming in, you begin to see, I literally, I forget the percentage that I zoomed into this, but it was a few thousand percentage, right, that I zoomed into this. And literally all you see are little boxes, and each box is one color. It's a combination of this saturation and hue, right, this color scheme that is there. And then you take that one pixel and you put it next to another pixel that's slightly different. You put it next to another pixel that's slightly different. You put it next, and then all you're doing is lining up these pixels, and that's zoomed in. And that's like our day-to-day -day lives, right? Like what we experience every single day, it was a certain flavor, it was a color, it was an experience, right? But God is not just looking at those individual pixels. What He sees is this entire thing. It's like the creation of our lives and it's in its totality and it's beautiful. And you look down here and you got a black spot and you're like, man, today was a hard day. These past 10 years of our lives look like this. That's all it was. It was just a black spot. I don't want to repeat that, right? And that's how we look at our lives, don't we? We look at our lives so like in the moment and we get lost because we don't see as the verbiage goes. We, we can't see the forest for the trees. And we're just stuck there, small-minded thinking, and like, man, I hate this. God, rescue me from this. And this is probably where Israel was in Babylon. It was a black spot, uncomfortable, dark and cold and lonely, and they've probably felt abandoned. I can imagine they were depressed and they were disillusioned, all of the rest, right? And God looks at that and says, wait a minute, I want more focus to go to the center where the two fingers are coming. And if you know anything about colors and lighting, what you do is you darken the outskirts of it so that the eye focuses in on the center. And so if God is trying to highlight something in my life, right, He wants there to be a moment of highlight, of faith, of expression, of real growth. What happens to the other parts of our lives, it can get dulled or darkened. Why? God wants to bring something to the forefront. And so God's speaking to the nation of Israel, and He uses the pronoun you. Right? And it's not just for that literal individual or group of people that are listening to Jeremiah in the moment. When God says that I know the plans that I have for you, in that pronoun, you, He is encompassing His children, His nation, Israel. And He's saying, I'm speaking to you, the current generation, and I'm going to tell you that I will bring your third generation back home. Because I'm doing something, right? First of all, I'm going to soften your heart. I'm going to bring you to the space where you can humble yourself and pray to me and where you will seek me with all of your heart. And when I get you to that space, ha -ha, I'm going to come out from behind the curtain and I'm going to let you find me. Because when you seek for me with that mentality, then I'll let you find me. 
But right now, you're not there yet. So I'm going to bring you in this dark space and I'm going to bring you into this entire country and underneath rulership that you don't agree with, that you don't like, but I'm doing it for a purpose because I got a plan, right? I got a purpose for all of this. Ultimately, it's not for calamity. I do have a hope and a future that I'm going to give to you, but I want you to know that you're here. This is your home right now. Get comfortable in this dark spot. and seek its welfare. So I hope that speaks to you. Um, like, if I think about my life, when I get lost the most is when I get too narrow in my vision. Like, when I think of, just like today, I had a, like, if I think, man, today I had a rough day. And I just, like, see that only. Like, it's the onset of something. You, you kind of get lost, right? And so if I were to err on any one side, thinking small or thinking big, because there's advantages to thinking detailed, like getting in the moment, right? But if we were to fall to a disposition, like, do I live in the moment? Or do I really live big picture, right? If you were to, to err on any one of those, I would say error on seeing big picture. Because we get into more trouble when our vision is like this. We let emotions get the best of us. We lose ourselves. When, when this is all that we see, like this little tiny pixel or sequence of pixels. Because, I, like, I go back... You go back to this, like, what is this? Like, what is that? What is this? Like, you look at it, it makes no sense. It doesn't give you anything, right? You can't judge your life based on this square of pixels, right? And what does this square of pixels represent in your life? Like, what color sequence are you going through right now? Is it like bright pink? Like, is it a dark gray, a dirty brown? Is it a passionate red? Is it just a stable blue? Like, those are seasons of our lives, right? And at moments, we're like, ah, like, oh, I'm on top of the world, and I, and then God humbles us, like, oh, what happened? I lost it so quickly, what I gained, right? And so I just, I just want to encourage you, stay away from small-minded thinking and begin to pan out, pan out, pan out, pan out, pan out, pan out. Ah, like this week, like I see my career, like wait a minute, my career is not even, all, wait, I, my life, oh, wait, my life and my children's life, like my children, generational, like again, just pan out, just pan out and see perspective. Wait a minute, life's not over. <laughs> like, I lost something dear to me, but I'm still alive. Life's not over, right? We need to train ourselves to think that way. And this is how God speaks to Israel. All right, that's what I got for you, is my brief follow-up. As uh, Joe comes up, give him a big, big hand. And... Um, 
You know, after uh, six months in New York and just all that God did through him, I'm excited that uh, he was leading worship for us today. And uh, I just bless him as he shares with us. All right. How are you guys doing? Good? Um, man, um, having this opportunity to share, I realized that, man, everybody... Um, ha would have a reason to give a testimony, not just me. And so I stand before you humbled uh, by this opportunity. And it's just really just sharing about what God has been doing. And like Pastor Robert said, he asked me to share when I first returned. That was, that was a good uh, three months ago already, you know. Uh, but I had really nothing to share other than the fact that I got lucky with different things. You know, I got lucky with certain opportunities and, and things like that. Um, and when I think about the word luck, you know, some say that uh, luck is simply uh, an opportunity when preparedness uh, meets opportunity, right? That seemingly inconsequential things that happen, um, they happen because you were ready for it and an opportunity comes and you're able to grasp that opportunity. And so, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to have, that, have that experience, but that's basically the same thing I, I shared about four years ago when, uh, you know, I shared uh, uh, during our first anniversary that, you know, God had just been really gracious to me and uh, he's given me opportunities to relocate, you know, different parts of this world and to be able to do things that I love to do, things that I enjoy while uh, being able to serve God. So what the heck have I been doing in the last uh, six months or it's already nine months, but uh, about nine months ago, uh, you know, an opportunity came, and uh, you know, I, I was with uh, UFC gym during that time, and you know, I uh, I had the misfortune and the fortune of leaving my current crew uh, at La Morada, which was again very nice, very new gym. A uh, very big club uh, and lots of responsibilities and opportunities uh, to move into Long Island, which is a beast of a club. It's, our, it's the company's largest club, and so I took that as a promotion. I took that as a, uh, they trusted me to uh, take on more responsibilities and hopefully to take on the region uh, thereafter. Um, what else have I, had I done? I spent. I got to. I got the opportunity to spend a lot of time with my younger sister, who today turns 32. I'm, I'm dating myself right now, but um, you know, uh, who you know had uh, who had a daughter and a son, um, Sophia and David, and and I never got to spend a lot of time with them. Um, I'm, I'm. I've been kind of like the black sheep of the family where. Um, I would see my family maybe once a year, right, because of work or excuses and things like that. Uh, other things I'd done, um, you know, exp exploring New York uh, and teaching my nephew how to take photos, <laughs> not into his ear, but, you know, I got to spend uh, Christmas, got to spend uh, New Year's Eve in uh, Times Square, even tried a uh, ketogenic diet which I don't recommend. Again, a lot of changes are happening in my life. Um, and then I got to spend even more time with my uh, sister's family and got to experience the birth of her third and fourth child, children, twins. Um, yeah, Izzy and uh, Isabella and Josephine. 
Um, apparently not after my name, but uh, <laughs> not, for no reason. But uh, I'll take the credit anyway. So, um, yeah, I got to experience uh, in those six months, I think it challenged me and it stressed me in ways that I, I don't recommend or I don't recall being stretched to that extent in such a short period of time. I think if I were to pick six months out of my life, in any point in my life, I think those six months were the most challenging, the most stretching, uh, but yet most growing as well. And so when I heard the, the two uh, past passages, it really then dawned on me that, wow, my, my life has been an example, hopefully, that God would be able to use to inspire other people that this can be a reality, that uh, seemingly simple uh, biblical concepts uh, can turn into even our modern day comfortable American lives, right? So I just wanted to kind of touch up on these few words and the thing I shared, I went onto the slide a little too soon, but you know, we, we talk about, there's a saying, hey, if you want, um, if you want to be successful, you got to take some risks, chances, right? Without taking those risks, uh, seeming risks at that point, some chances at that point, you'll never know how much the opportunity there is, right? Um, I think I have been fortunate enough to be moved around uh, different locations of this world throughout my life. I think until I went to New York, every six years I was at different parts of the world. First six years in Korea, next six years in New York City, next uh, six years in Northern California, in Monterey, next six years in uh, LA through Biola and some work, and then next five years uh, in Korea, living there and working, and then coming back to, to LA uh, for about four year, five years before I moved to New York, and I didn't stay five years or six years then but I came back after six months, right? Um, and I think about, man, I, I was almost forced into the positions of taking risks, put into positions where I had to kind of adapt and figure it out because it's been so many new environments in my life, right? And then I think about, man, why don't more people do this? Why don't more people take risks or put themselves in a position of taking risks so that they can stretch themselves, so that they can improve, so that they can grow, right? And the word is fear, right? The fear of the unknown, fear of taking that risk and failing, right? But as many of us that have gone through, um, you know, taking risks and taking chances and things like that, even if you failed, you learn from that, right? And I realized, man, if, if the fear is really what is preventing us from getting better, becoming you know, smarter, stronger, more vigilant for God's work, and things like that, what's really standing in the way? I think what works um, kind of in conjunction is the, not only the fear of the failure and things like that, but in conjunction with that is the, the comfort of where we are then, right? And um, again, I have been you know, kind of fortunate enough to be uncomfortable many, many times where it got to a point of, man, yeah, I'll, I'll take that opportunity. When, when my boss, Steve, said, 
hey, there's an opportunity in New York. Will you go there? I said yes first and then figure it out I'll be moving to New York within less than a week. You know, picking up my life and, and going there. Um, and that was due to the fact that I wasn't too comfortable where I was, right? Although there is always the desire to kind of settle and to, to grow my business, to grow my, my personal life and, and things like that. Um, but there was enough of that, that comfort level was, was not important enough where I wanted to take that risk and become just a little bit better, take on that opportunity, and so on and so forth. And I realized this truth of, man, if you want to grow, if you want to stretch yourself, if you want to become better in whatever sense of the word, spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, intellectually, um, the truth is you have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. Right? This was taught to me by my mentor, which realized, man, that's, that's the truth. In any, if you think about an, any object or anything or any person, for them to change for the, for the better, there needs to be a change, right? There needs to be a change. There needs to be stretching. And any change and any stretching or any challenge is uncomfortable, aren't they? Right? Um, but... Oftentimes, we settle for being comfortable. We settle for uh, being complacent. And we settle for what seems almost oxymoronic because our, our world, our life, permanence of life is not here. It's in heaven. But I think we get very distracted and sidetracked by building our life here, being how can I make my life more comfortable and things like that until we come to a point of desperation. Right? Those six months was the most challenging to me uh, because I was uh, acting in counter to the years and years of lacking integrity uh, in their business. And Long Island being very uh, much a satellite location far away from the corporate office and the cluster of Southern California uh, gyms and whatnot, they operated pretty much on their own and however they wanted to. And uh, outside looking in, they seemed like they were doing really well, but there was a lot of lacking integrity, a lot of uh, dishonest practices and, and things like that. And when I went, and again, this is not my desire to go in with like this you know, holy crusade of, you know, changing things around, but I just, you know, that's, that's one of my, you know, core values is integrity, to operate in integrity in every sense of the word, every aspect of my life, uh, sometimes just because it's inconvenient to lack integrity, because there's so much inconsistencies when you're lacking integrity that, um, you know, it, it really is messy in your life, right? So when I... Uh, led the team with that kind of mindset and working against years of um, you know, dishonest practices and um, lots of issues with integrity, I came to a point of desperation where, man, I, I, I'm really, really being stretched, but without me being steadfast in my ways and really working hard against that culture or that current, that, that no change can occur, right? And... After, after about six months, um, I may have done, uh, I may have had some influence, but uh, I wasn't successful in turning the entire place around. 
The company was not patient enough to see it turn a degree at a time. You know, they needed to see a sh big shift uh, quickly for our largest or their largest uh, club during that time. And so um, we decided it wasn't the best fit. And another opportunity came when, uh, you know, I, I was freelance for, for about a day when I decided I'm going to take some rest. I'm going to take I had a trip to Korea lined up for April anyway. So I'm going to take some time off before I end up hating, you know, working in this gym industry, you know, before I become so jaded, so burnt out. You know, I was, uh, it was an act of uh, self-preservation. Uh, but then one thing happened, um, one thing led to another. Uh, reaching out to a couple of friends um, got me connected to, connected back to uh, Gold's Gym uh, in Fullerton. And kind of to sum it up, um, I entered this industry about four years ago, applying as a personal trainer. You know, I went through my own kind of uh, physical transformation and I realized how much it had impacted my life for the better. Right? Again, another transformation, another stretching, another being uncomfortable in the gym, right? I was, I was a big boy. I didn't feel comfortable going to the gym and doing things half knowing what I was doing, you know? I was uncomfortable with eating healthy, you know, and things like that. So I, I applied for a personal training job. They saw that I could train people and to affect their lives. Then they realized that I could take on the, the job of assistant fitness manager where I would onboard properly every new member and to uh, consult with them into getting started on their uh, fitness journey the right way. And then they found that I was, uh, I earned the rights to move on to a fitness manager where I would influence and lead a team of trainers to better impact the lives of their clients. And so I didn't realize as I was going through this, I, w I just saw that as a promotion, after promotion, after bigger club, bigger teams, and so on and so forth. And then now that I'm a general manager, I saw, man, God has given me so much grace and so much just mercy in my desire to impact positively just one person's life. I would be happy personal training one person and deeply impacting that person's life, uh, both through my training and through my words of encouragement, right? Where I can sneak in words of encouragement, of faith, and so on and so forth, right? Then my influence grew uh, to the assistant fitness manager where I had a group of uh, designated new members that I would be responsible for, taking care of them. And then uh, the team of trainers who would have maybe a shallower impact in the, uh, in the trainers uh, or the clients' lives, but a broader one, right? And then I spent you know, the next two years as a fitness manager, fitness director, so on and so forth, with, uh, grow, ever growing that kind of um, that scope, that sphere of influence. And when I got the position as a general manager, I thought, yeah, that's, that's great. That's, uh, yeah, that would be the kind of the appropriate next step. I, I was uh, seeking after either a regional fitness director or, uh, or a general manager. And so it made logical sense. But then I realized the impact of, man, if I had been faithful, if I really served God in my market, uh, marketplaces and I had been wanting to influence a small group of uh, people for the better and hope, hope for the opportunity to uh, you know, improve their spiritual life, and then growing that, and then growing that. I realized that 
um, as the, the head of a, a club, I, was, I had the opportunity to impact, whether small or large ways, everybody that enter, ever entered that gym. And when I realized that, I almost broke down thinking that, first, I'm not even worthy of that kind of responsibility, you know, uh, but two, thanking God for the opportunity uh, because he had been, I would have to assume that he, he found me faithful in the smaller incremental responsibilities. And so when I saw that uh, Michelangelo's photo, I thought about if we are faithful with that just one single pixel, right? Wouldn't he give us a little bit more, right? To, to do four by four, then to do eight by eight, and to do 16 by 16, up to the point where you are responsible for maybe the head of that curly-haired angel, or, or, and so on and so forth, right? So I wanted to kind of tie this together and say, man, are we, are we desperate enough in where we, where we are, in whatever stage of our lives, um, wherever God has put us? Or are we seeking after comfort? Or are we seeking after, I welcome discomfort, but I know that that's going to challenge me. I know that's going to grow me. And I know that that's going to give me the opportunity to serve God, to have the, earned the right to serve God in a small, in, in a even incrementally greater level, right? To be excellent in our families, to be excellent in our workplaces, to be excellent in whatever it is that you do, the, the small and large callings of, of life that God has given us. And so when I, you know, my, my parents have named me, you know, I didn't have my name Joseph until I was six when we immigrated to the States, but they prophetically uh, called me Joseph uh, from, the, uh, from Joseph of Old Testament. And sure enough, uh, you know, I found myself being very uncomfortable very frequently in different places, uh, some good, some bad, and things like that, and being challenged, and only hoping that I would, be, I would remain faithful in God's eyes to earn the next step, to earn the next uh, growth of sphere of influence, and so on and so forth. So I just want to challenge you guys uh, with being comfortable with being uncomfortable to, you know, if we live a day and say, man, that was a comfortable day, what did we lack? What do we miss out on? What opportunity did we miss to really just encourage or make someone's life just a little bit better, right? Because that's uncomfortable, right? To, to influence and uh, affect uh, a stranger's life uh, through uh, God's grace. So... That's uh, all I had to share, uh, really, and uh, thank you for listening, and uh, I hope I didn't ramble too much, um, but thank Stay you. Stay up here real quick. Let's thank him. Let's put our hands together.